as I was growing up, I was always a really good baseball player. Now I was small. I still am small, but uh, I was, you know, not a power hitter by any stretch of the imagination. But what I did have was speed and a really good eye. I could, you know, hit the ball almost every single time. And so I always batted lead off for our teams, always did really well, and always was making all-star teams. Until I turned 15, all of a sudden I couldn't hit the ball anymore. Now, this was so weird because I started baseball at age eight, and every single year I was one of the best players in the entire league, making all the all-star teams, and now I can't hit the ball at all. And I'm like, what in the world is going on? We didn't figure out what was going on until I went at 15 and a half to get what was called my 180-day card. I grew up in Maryland. We had this thing that at 15 and a half, you could actually go in and get sort of a temporary license that allowed you for the next 180 days to drive with the supervision of your parents, then at age 16, then you could just full-blown get your license and do your own thing. And so I went in to get my 180-day card, and I failed the eye test. And all of a sudden, it made sense why I wasn't able to hit the ball anymore. I, I couldn't see. My, my vision was really, really blurry. I had no idea up to that point that I needed some sort of correction, and so I got contacts. Now, I shared that story with you because I believe that Many people and many churches do the exact same thing. They walk around through life thinking that everything is okay, that I'm on the right path, that I have a clear vision for the future. But as it turns out, you need a little bit of correction. And so that's what I want to talk to you about here this morning. We're going to start a brand new series called 2020 Vision. And what I want to do over the next four weeks is sort of share with you some things that are going to prepare us as we get ready for our big grand opening here at our new building in October. And, you know, as I've mentioned to you before, uh, a church is not a building. Uh, our building that we now have, it, it's just the tool that God is going to give us to, to be able to further reach the community. What is the church? Church is people, right? It's us. And so really what we're going to do over the next four weeks is we're going to look at what you individually need to be doing, some core values that you need to be living out in your life. Because if you're living out these core values, then when we come together on a Sunday morning as exponential, we'll truly have what I call an exponential impact. In fact, that's what I want to talk to you about here this morning as we start this series is this thing that I call exponential faith thinking. If you've ever wondered before, why are we called exponential church? Where in the world did that ever come from? Let me explain it to you. As many of you know, I used to work for a guy by the name of Rick Warren. How many of you ever heard of Rick Warren before? Yeah. Rick is the uh, author of the Purpose Driven Life book, and uh, Rick is, is a great guy, a really big thinking type of guy. And so when I worked for Purpose Driven, I also became friends with another guy by the name of Brett Eastman. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Brett's story. Brett's the uh, guy there on the, uh, be your left. Uh, Brett was the former... Life groups pastor, small groups pastor out at Willow Creek Church in Chicago. And uh, he had left Chicago to come to Saddleback in order to be our life groups pastor. Now, let me put it into perspective for you here. Saddleback Church, the one that, that Rick is the, the founding pastor of, we had about 25,000 people that would show up every single weekend. Can you imagine that? 25,000 people that we had show up to our church every single weekend. It was amazing. Here was the problem. We only had about 50 life groups. They're going, 50 sounds like a lot of life groups, but when you have 25,000 people showing up, that's not a lot of life groups. So Brett was hired to come in and get more life groups started. So 
it's Brett's first summer there. The fall is coming up, and we're going to have this big, you know, kickoff for the, the life groups. Rick says to uh, Brett, Brett, how many groups are you planning on trying to get started this fall? Brett said, you know, I think we could probably go from 50 to 70. That'd be a pretty good increase, right? 50 to 70. Rick looked at him and he said, Brett, here's what I want you to do. Add a zero to the end of that. In other words, he didn't want him to start 70 groups. He wanted him to start 700 groups. Now, Brett, in telling me that story later, said, you know what? After I picked my job off the floor, I looked at Rick and I said, Rick, there's no way I can do that. And Rick looked at him and said, you're right, Brett, you can't, but God can. And so what this forced Brett to do was get on his knees and start praying, God, how in the world are you going to pull this off? I can't do it, but, but God, somehow you can. And if this is what Rick is, is saying we need to do, then man, we got to figure out a way to do it. And so it's forced him to start to rethink life groups and how life groups had historically been done up to that point. I won't get into all the particulars of it, but that fall, we didn't start 70 groups. We didn't start 700 new groups. We started 1,200 new groups that fall. Went from 50 groups to 1,200 groups in a period of just a couple of months. That's exponential faith thinking that, that Rick sort of put out there. To think so big, in fact, here's the definition for you if, if you're uh, taking notes this morning. Exponential faith thinking is thinking so big that unless God shows up, there is no possible way you'll ever meet your goals. Let me say that again. Exponential faith thinking is thinking so big that unless God shows up, there's no possible way you could ever meet your goals. Here's what exponential faith thinking will do for you. Number one, it'll drive you to your knees in prayer. Because it's a big goal, and you're going, like Brett did, that I can't do that. God, you're going to need to show up and do a miracle here. The other thing that happens with exponential faith thinking is, when you do meet the goal, you can't get the credit for it. There's no possible way that Brett could get the credit for going from 50 groups to 1,200 groups. Only God can do something like that. Only God can get the glory from a scenario like that. And so in any case, my job for Purpose Driven Again, we had 25,000 people that would show up on a weekend, but then we had this organization called Purpose Driven Ministries, which was training pastors how to be more effective in their communities. My job was to travel all over the United States and Canada training pastors in how to do that. And so here's what my typical week would look like. I'd hop on a flight on Monday morning. I'd fly to a city, a major metropolitan area in either the United States or Canada. All day Tuesday from 9 until 4, I'd stand up on a big stage in front of hundreds and hundreds of pastors and church leaders. I would train them in how to do all this. Then Wednesday, I'd fly to the next city. Thursday, I'd do the conference again in another city. Then sometimes I'd fly home for the weekends, but then sometimes I'd hop on a plane, go to the next city, so I could do it all over again on Saturday. So two to three times a week, I'd be in front of hundreds and hundreds of pastors training them in how to be more effective in their community. And part of my training that I did was a 30 to 40 minute section on this thing called exponential faith thinking. And what was so cool was, as I was out, and I ended up, it was over 10,000 churches and over 30,000 church leaders and pastors that I got to train in my three and a half years with Purpose Driven. As I did that, I started to get phone calls and emails from pastors going, Gilbert, we came to the thing that you did saying, you know, Kansas City, and we drove in three hours to that event, and we heard you speak, and then we took the principles that you taught back to our local city, and now this many people have come to Christ, or our church doubled in attendance, or this happened, or that happened. 
And I kept just getting these stories over and over and over again. It was so inspiring for me because I was like, wow, I'm having an exponential impact on North America. I'm helping to change North America, and I'm changing some cities I've never even stepped foot into. And so this whole thing about exponential faith thinking, it just like, man, it really gripped me. And I mean, I was the one teaching it, but yet it really, really gripped me because I was seeing it lived out. And so when God called Lisa and I to move here to Harrisburg six years ago to start exponential or to start a church, we knew that it needed to be called Exponential Church. Because we were determined that this wasn't going to be a church that you just showed up on Sunday mornings, did your duty, so to speak, you know, you, you checked the box, okay, I went to church this week, but we truly wanted to have an exponential impact, not just on Sundays, but out in this Harrisburg community, and ultimately in the state, and in the nation, and ultimately the world as well. But see, that's not something that we can do on our own. It's something that's going to take all of us deciding that, you know what, we're not going to live our lives for ourselves anymore. We are going to live fully and sacrificially for Jesus. It's not about what I can get out of life. It's about helping his kingdom come and, 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 and expanding his kingdom both here on the earth and in making sure that as many people as possible one day spend eternity with him in heaven forever. And so that's, uh, again, what exponential faith thinking is, is all about and sort of the, the genesis of how we got started as a church, that we want to think so big individually, we want to think so big corporately as a body, that God has to show up in our midst in order to accomplish things. So here's what I want to do today. I want to talk to us about how do we become faith-filled, big-thinking, water-walking miracle-believing, bet-the-farm-all-in risk-takers for Jesus? How do we get to the place where we're not thinking small or not taking risks? See, we never want to insult God by thinking too small or, or playing it too safe. How do we get to the place where we're believing God for big dreams and big miracles? Well, before I get to, uh, get to how we are going to do that, let me sort of set it up for you a little bit, give you a little bit of, of some foundation, because did you know that there's two times in Scripture where it says that Jesus was amazed by something? Two, two different times. One is found in, in Mark chapter 6. Let me uh, give you a little bit of context. Jesus was in his hometown, and he's preaching, and he's teaching, and he's doing a couple miracles here and there, and his hometown people, the people that had known him since a boy, you know what they start saying? Who in the world does this guy think he is? I mean, isn't this Joseph's son? Isn't this kid just a carpenter? Walking around preaching God's word and talking to, you know, you can kill me and I'll come back in three days and then I have the power to forgive sins. Who does he think he is? And we read that in Mark chapter 6, verses 5 and 6. That he, meaning Jesus, could not do any miracle, lay his hands on a thorn of them, and he was amazed. Why? What does it say? He was amazed at their, what? Lack of faith. He was amazed at their lack of faith. And then in the, the Gospel of Luke, there's this story about a Roman soldier that comes up to Jesus one day and asks Jesus for a favor. Now again, let me give you a little bit of context before I read the scripture to you. Jesus was Jewish. And, the, you know, the Jewish people lived there in Israel. Well, what we need to understand about the day and time that Jesus lived was that the Roman Empire had taken over everything. 
the Romans had come in and they had invaded Israel. They are occupying Israel. And for the Jewish people who were trying to follow God's word and God's commands, this presented a real dilemma for them because they wanted to follow God, but yet the Romans were saying, no, you've got to follow Caesar. And in fact, if you didn't follow Caesar, you were going to die. You would be executed. And so you can imagine the Jews, they hated They hated these Romans, and especially the the soldiers that were there living right in their neighborhoods. Couldn't stand these guys. But one day, this Roman soldier, he comes up to Jesus, and and this is what happens. Look at Luke chapter 7, verse 9. Actually, let me me explain it, because I didn't uh, put the actual scripture in. Uh, Pull that off, Simon. Spoiler alert. There we go. Now, pull it off. There we go. All right, I need to explain a little bit more of the story. So here's what happens. This Roman soldier comes up to Jesus. He says, Jesus, one of my servants is at home sick. I want you to heal him. Now, Jesus was a guy that was full of compassion for everybody, not just for his own people, but everybody, even the people that didn't look like him. And so Jesus says, okay, I'll come to your house. I'm going to heal him. And here's what the Roman soldier says. He says, No, 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 Jesus, look, look. I understand who you are because I've been watching you. And I'm a man that I have like other soldiers under my command. And when I tell my soldiers to do something, they have to do it. And Jesus, I know that you're a guy that has authority. And so all you have to do is even speak to this illness and and, and declare that this man is going to be healed. And I know it'll happen in an instant. You don't have to come to my house. Just speak the words and he'll be healed. And then here's what it says. Luke chapter 7, verse 9. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. And turning to the crowd that was following him, he said, I tell you, this is the greatest faith I have found anywhere, even here in Israel. So two different times Jesus is amazed. One for a lack of faith. One for a man that has great faith. In fact, if we were to sort of rate them on a scale 1 to 10, we would say the people in Jesus' hometown on a scale 1 to 10, their faith was at a 1. This Roman soldier, his faith was up at a 10. Here's what I want you to do right now. Rate yourself. Where are you at on a scale 1 to 10? Where are you at when it comes to faith? Now, just so we make sure we get an accurate number, let's just think back over the past week. What big risks did you take for God that you say, God, you are going to have to show up here. If you don't show up, it's not going to happen. What big chances did you take? Or think of it this way. Think about your prayer life. Imagine for a second that every single prayer you prayed over the last seven days instantly came true. How would this world be different? Would wars have ceased? Would there be no more poverty? Would diseases be eradicated? Would people be healed? Would marriages be restored? Would addicts be set free? Or would the only thing that would have happened over the past week is your food was blessed? And you made it to grandma's house safely because God give us traveling mercies, whatever in the world that means. Now, I guess that's better than not praying anything at all. 
But again, if you had to rate yourself on a scale of 1 to 10 based on the prayers that you prayed and the things that you tried to accomplish for Jesus over the past seven days, where are you on a scale of 1 to 10? Be really, really honest with yourself here this morning. Then I'm asking us this question. Is Jesus amazed by your faith? Or is he blown away by your lack of faith? Jesus is amazed by you. But why is he amazed by you? And is it what you want it to be? Now, I strongly doubt that any of us here today rated ourselves all the way up at a 10. And so what I want to do for the remainder of the message is help you just take a next step. Some of you rated yourself as a one. I just want to help you get to a two. Maybe you're at a five, let's get you to a six. Maybe you're at an eight, let's get you to a nine. None of us have arrived. All of us can have more faith. Trust God for bigger and better things, greater things. So let's just see a a couple thoughts, a couple steps that we can take to help get us there. So if you're taking notes, the first thing I want to say this morning is this. I cannot play it safe and please God. I cannot play it safe and please God. In the New Testament, there's this book, it's called Hebrews. And it's one of the few books of the Bible where we're not 100% sure exactly who wrote this particular book. But as the writer of Hebrews is going through in chapter 11, he sort of gives uh, what we call the hall of fame of faith. These are people that all would be up at a 10. Great men and women of Scripture that had great faith. They trusted God for the impossible. They said, God, unless you show up, my goals are not going to be able to be accomplished. And so he sort of walks through this whole list. But he also makes this very stunning statement in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. He says, without faith, it is what? What does it say? Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Now, don't miss that. He didn't say it's okay if you don't have faith. He didn't say it's okay if you have, you know, just a a little bit of faith. He didn't say you can sort of please God. He says, no, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Unless you get to that place where you're going, God, man, you need to show up here. You need to show up. And I'm going to get on my knees and I'm going to beg and I'm going to plead to God, please show up so I can accomplish these great things for you. Unless you have that kind of faith, he says, it is impossible to please God. Now, let me be clear here. This doesn't mean that you're never going to have a bad day. This doesn't mean that you're never going to have any doubts because look, listen, listen, listen. There are days that I am full of faith and I feel like I'm, I'm right there with Jesus and then Jesus right there with me and man, we're accomplishing great things. But then there's also days that it's like, man, my prayers feel like they're just bouncing right off the ceiling. It feels like God is distant. So that's, that's not what I'm talking about here. What I'm talking about is 100% of the time, even in those times that God doesn't feel near and it doesn't feel like you're making a difference, that you're still trusting that, God, you're going to use me to make a tremendous difference for your kingdom here in Harrisburg and all around the world. That, God, I trust you even more than I trust myself. And, God, I know that you can use someone like me. Yeah, I've messed up. Yeah, I'm frail. Yes, I've I've committed sin. But Jesus, because of your forgiveness, your spirit that raised Christ from the dead now lives inside of me. And you said that because of that, that that we together, 
as the body, as exponential church, as the church universal, that together we will do even greater things than what you, Jesus, did walking here on this earth. I mean, think about that. Jesus said, it's better for you if I go back to heaven and send my spirit to live inside of you. I mean, it would be cool, right, to have Jesus still walking around the earth, right? We would have our Jesus Christ World Tour t-shirts on, right? That, you know, Jesus, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, you know, February 10th in 2016. Yeah, he was here. But then we'd have to wait five more years till Jesus came back to Harrisburg. He says, it's better for you. It's better if I send my spirit to live inside of each and every one of you, and I'm going to give you my gifts. I'm going to give you my gifts. Everything that I did, you are going to be able to accomplish. But here's what Jesus was smart enough to do. He didn't give anybody all the gifts. He said, I'm not giving anybody all the gifts because I want you to work together. I want you to be my body here on the earth. That's what we are as Exponential Church. We are the representation of Jesus' body. And so together, utilizing our gifts and our talents, and as I've said before, I'm just the big mouth, right? That's all I am. I'm just the big mouth. I'm no more special than any of you here today. All of us have a part to play in expanding the kingdom, in making sure that Exponential Church, that when people in the community look, they say, that's Jesus, And not because of we're special, but because we're trusting God to do great and mighty things through us. And we're praying, Jesus, use us. Because we can't accomplish this on our own. And so that's that's his plan, is that we individually and that we corporately as a church body, we would have faith because without faith, it is impossible to please God. You know, eight years ago, I decided to go skydiving as a part of uh, a sermon illustration I was doing in a series at my previous church. And uh, Simon has a picture there. You're going to see me getting ready to, to board the plane. I'm all suited up, ready to go, right? And we had to wait a couple days because the weather was really, really bad. And so finally they called and they said, get over here right away. There's an open window. We're going to be able to jump. So go over, we get on the, the plane. And, you know, the nerves and the excitement of, you know, we're, we're going skydiving. And one of the things the instructor tells you is this. When I say jump, you jump because we only have a, a little bit of a window. And so the uh, next picture that you're going to see here is uh, me actually getting ready to make the leap. We're right there at the, at, the, at the doorway, ready to jump. I'm waiting. We're going to do a tandem jump, so he's right there behind me. We're ready to go. And, you know, there's a couple things that you're thinking as you inch your way up and you're getting ready to jump out of that airplane. One is, why am I getting ready to jump out of a perfectly good airplane? <laughs> the second thing that you think is, am I all right with Jesus? I mean, I think I was making up some sins just so I'd have something to confess, right? <laughs> I just wanted to make sure. And so you're right there, and you're ready to do it. And finally he says, jump, and out we go. You got it for me? There we go. There we are just a couple seconds after uh, making the leap out. Talk about the thrill of a lifetime. What a rush. 
completely exhilarating. If Lisa wouldn't kill me, I'd do it again. <laughs> it was phenomenal. I loved it. And the reason I'm telling you this story is I think a lot of us in life, a lot of churches, we make the mistake of we don't jump when we're told to jump. We, we want to play it too safe. We want to stay in the plane. But listen, maybe safer in the plane, but you're never going to experience that thrill either. And it's the same way with your life. Yeah, you can walk through life and play it really, really safe, but what Jesus is calling you to this morning is this, to take a risk, to have great faith. Try something you don't think that you could try. And corporately, together, as a church, let's try some things that we don't think that we can do, but we're going to trust that God can do through us. Just like Peter Remember the story of Peter and the disciples? They're all there on a boat one day and they're out on the Sea of Galilee and the wind and the waves are whipping all around and stuff. And they're like, uh, Jesus said he's going to meet us on the other side. I hope we can even make it to the other side. All of a sudden, one of them goes, my, my vision's a little blurry. I, that's Jesus. Jesus is walking on the water. Guys, wake up. Jesus is walking on the water. Peter goes, Jesus, can I walk on the water? Jesus is like, come on. Peter steps out of the boat. He's walking on the water. He's got his eyes focused solely on Jesus. He's walking on the water, and all of a sudden he notices the waves, and he feels the wind. He takes his eyes off of Jesus, and he sinks. Now, a lot of times we think, well, Peter was a failure then. Uh-uh. You know who's the failure? The 11 guys still sitting back in the boat. Those were the failures. Peter got to walk on the water. Yes, he sunk. Yes, he failed in a little way, but he got to experience something that we've never been able to experience. He walked on the water. Why? Because he had faith that if I keep my eyes focused on Jesus, I can do the impossible. And exponential, I want to say the same thing to you individually, and I want to say the same thing to us corporately. If we can keep our eyes solely focused on Jesus, He will use you, He'll use me, He'll use us to do the impossible. But we've got to have faith because without faith, it is impossible to please God. So let me ask you a question here this morning. What great step of faith is God asking you to take? As I've been speaking, what has the Spirit been nudging you with that you've got to take this chance, you've got to take this risk? Again, you, you, can, you can play it safe. You can stay in the plane. You can stay in the boat. But it's going to be impossible to please God. Again, is Jesus amazed by your faith or not? Number two, as long as I have a guarantee, I don't have faith. We want guarantees, don't we? We want to know exactly how things are going to work out. But look at what the writer in, in Hebrews 11, once again, he, he, he's talking in verse 1, he says this, what is faith? He says, it's the confident assurance that something we want is going to happen. 
It is the certainty that what we hope for is waiting for us, even though we cannot see it up ahead. He says, basically, faith is just having hope that what you're hoping for is actually going to happen. Some versions say having confidence in the things that are not yet seen, that you will see them one day. Are you guaranteed that you're going to see it? No. But again, that's what faith is, just trusting God. Again, our problem, though, is we want guarantees. We want to know exactly how are things going to work out. We want to know, God, are we going to be successful in this? God, are you going to be there with us through this whole thing? Which dumb question to ask because God said, I'll always be with you. I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. We want guarantees because we don't want to look like fools, right? Isn't that the reason that many times we don't take chances, we don't take risks? We don't want to look like a fool if it doesn't happen. Sort of like this. I've brought this up before, but remember when you're in second, third, fourth grade and, and you said to a little boy or a little girl, will you go with me? Now, we, we talked about it before. I'm not exactly sure where you were going because it wasn't like you're going out on a date. You didn't even go to recess together because, you know, she wasn't going to come play kickball and he wasn't going to do hopscotch. So uh, where you were going, I don't know. But here's the thing. You wanted to go with somebody. But you didn't want to look like a fool. And so you always had this little pre-qualifier that you did to sort of guarantee that this was going to work for you. And what you did is you got out a piece of paper and on it you wrote a simple question. Do you like me? Check. Yes or no. And then you slid that across to their desk and if they checked yes, then you were able to ask them, will you go with me? Now again, the, the reason you did it, you didn't want to look like a fool, so you had this little pre-qualifier. And I think we do the same thing with God so many times. We go, God, I, I think I just heard like, this big thing you want me to do. Was that truly you? Check yes or no. God, are you sure this is going to work? Check, yes or no. God, are we guaranteed that this is going to happen? Check, yes or no. But listen, that's not faith. If you have a guarantee that something is going to happen, you don't need God then. Right? You don't need God because you already know it's going to happen. Faith is having this confidence that the things that are unseen are going to happen. The results are up to God. Our job is just to take a next step, and then a next step, and a next step. Now, here's the thing. We want to know steps three, four, and five. God says, I'm not going to give you steps three and four and five until you take steps one and two. Then I'll give you those things. You know why? Because out here, what God's going to ask us to do out here can sometimes be really scary. And what will happen is we're back here and we see those steps out there and we're like, I, I, no, I can't do that. But see, when we take step one, when we take step two, we get confidence that God is using me. God is doing something through me. And yeah, it was scary back there, but look where I'm at now. And yeah, these steps three, four, and five, they look really scary. But since he brought me through these steps, he's going to bring me through these steps as well. So you can't have guarantees and have faith at the same time. You've got to do whatever it is that God is calling you to do. Let me put it to you this way. You can't have both control and faith. You can have one or you can have the other. 
But you can't have both. You can have control or you can have faith. Which one do you think Jesus wants you to have here this morning? Which one is the one that he's saying, that is a level 10 type of faith? It's when you say, God, I'm giving up control. It's not about me. It's not about what I want. I'm just going to faithfully just keep taking the next step, a next step, and a next step after that. You know, just to be honest with you here this morning, as your pastor, probably about 95% of the time, I'm only 80% sure. Does that make sense? Like, most of the time, I'm only like 80% sure. God, I'm pretty sure that was you. Hoping and praying it was you. I'm just going to take next steps like it was you. I mean, there are those times that I know that I know that I know that I know that God spoke and, man, this is what we're doing. But just being brutally honest, only about 80% sure most of the time. And so it's okay to still have some, some doubts. But even in the midst of your doubts, just keep taking next steps. And if you didn't hear from God, He'll make it clear as you're taking those steps that, nope, you're on the wrong path. We need to take a detour here. He'll make it clear to you. But just keep taking steps. Get out of the boat. Jump out of the plane. So here's the question. What is it this morning that you need to let control, uh, go of the control of so that faith can live itself out in your life? What is it? You know what it is. The Spirit's been speaking to you. Something you have tight control of. You've got a firm death grip on, and God's saying, I want you to open your hand and say, God, here it is. Take it. I'm living with hands wide open, with a heart that's wide open. That Jesus, I'll go wherever it is you want me to go. I'll say whatever it is you want me to say. I'll do whatever it is you want me to do. Because it's not about me. It's all about you. Number three, then. For me to step into my destiny... I must step away from my security. For me to step into my destiny, I must step away from my security. Back to the skydiving for a second. You know, it's not enough just to get the the jumpsuit on. It's not enough just to strap a parachute on your back. It's not enough just to get in a plane that's designed for people to jump out of. If later on, you're still in that plane when it lands on the ground, you haven't done the very word that you said you were going to do, which is skydiving. Skydiving, by definition, means that you jump out of the plane. It's not enough just to go through most of the steps. You have to go through with the big step then, which is when the instructor says jump, you jump. But guess what? In the plane, it's safe, it's secure, it's comfortable. But yet if you don't jump, you never get that rush, you never get that thrill, you never have the adventure, you never have the story that you're able to tell. Again, in the uh, book of Hebrews, the, uh, the writer, he's going through this whole list of great men and women of faith, and he talks about Abraham in, in verse 8 says this, Abraham trusted God, and when God told him to leave home and go far away to another land that he promised to give him, Abraham obeyed, 
away he went without even knowing where he was going. This is such an amazing story. Abraham is told by God that, look, I've got this land, this land for you, this promised land. It's going to flow with milk and honey. And in that land, I'm going to make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the, the, the sand on the seashore. He says, but I'm not going to tell you where that land is until you actually get there. Abraham, get up. Leave your family. Leave your home. Leave the comforts that you have and just start walking. And when you get to where I want you to be, I'll tell you that you're now there. What faith that would take. I mean, imagine that right now. God says to you, leave Harrisburg. Leave behind all the safety and the comforts and the security of here. And just start walking. Just start walking. And I'll let you know when you've gotten to where you need to be. That takes a lot of faith, right? But here's the thing. Again, Abraham just started taking next steps. And every single next step was full of faith and full of hope that what God has planned for me in the future is better than if I had stayed back at home. That in order to walk into my destiny, I've got to walk away from my security. And so again, the question for you, what is it that you're holding on tight to that, that is something that brings you safety and it brings you security and you know that God is saying, you've got to get rid of that. You, you've got to let go in order to do what it is that I've called you to do. What next step is he asking you to take? Because again, if we don't have that kind of faith, it's impossible to please God. So I start to wrap up then this morning. Let me again ask you the question, is Jesus amazed by your, state, uh, by your faith? Where would you rank yourself, scale 1 to 10? Is he amazed by your great faith or is he blown away by your lack of faith? Next question is, what's the next step he's called you to take here this morning? What do you need to do in order to start pleasing him when it comes to having faith, an exponential type of faith, that you're trusting God for the impossible? Yeah, it looks scary. Yeah, it's going to be risky. But here's what I want you to imagine. Imagine what would happen if every single one of us here today started living with the type of faith like Peter had that had him get out of the boat or like Abraham had that had him leave behind all the safety and security of home? What if every single one of us was willing to, to jump out of planes, metaphorically speaking, and, and walk on water, metaphorically speaking? Do you think then that when we gather together on Sundays, things would be a little different? Can you imagine the buzz and the energy that would be on this place, in this place on Sunday mornings? In fact, I would think that if we were all living with this type of faith, there'd be many Sunday mornings that I wouldn't even be able to preach. Why? Because many of you would say, I need to get up and share what God did in my life this week. And we would just have testimony after testimony after testimony of God did this and God did that and God did this and God did that. Do you think that would be something that would be attractive to the people in our community? that they would say, I want to get in on that. Because it's obvious that God is using the people there at Exponential to do great things. And they're changing this city in a major way. 
I want to be a part of it. And they may even become a part of it before they even believe in Jesus. But they just want their lives to make a difference. They want to get in on making a difference. So what is it that you need to do? Take a next step today. Is it a phone call you need to make? An email you need to write? Maybe some of you, God's been calling you to start your own business and you haven't been willing to jump out of the plane to get out of the boat. Take a next step today to to do that. Maybe God's been calling you to start a ministry. Start it today. Take a next step. For some of you, God's been calling you to start a life group or to start tithing or start working with the kids back in the children's ministry. Take a next step today. Take a step of faith. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 is sort of the theme verse for our church. I paraphrased it a little bit. Let me read it to you here. Paul says this, because, God's, because of God's mighty power is at work within us, we can do exponentially more than anything we could ever ask, hope for, or imagine. So who are we? Who are we as a church? Well, we're exponential church, a church of big thinking, faith-filled, miracle-working, bet-the-farm, risk-taking, all-in people who never want to insult our God by thinking too small or playing it too safe. That's 2020 vision. We've been walking around maybe a little blurry, but what I just shared with you there, if we can live that out, if we can bring that in the sharp focus, we together will make a tremendous impact. I hope and pray you'll join me on the journey. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity we've had together together to worship you and to just learn a little bit more from your word. And Lord, uh, you know, all of us here today, uh, myself included, probably been convicted in some ways by this message that we don't always trust you to the fullest of our abilities. So God, I just pray that whatever it is you're asking us to do, we would have the confidence and the boldness to do it. Not because of anything that we can do, but God, because of your power working in us. Help us to have the the confidence in things that are yet unseen and just to take next steps. So Lord, whatever it is that people that are here live today or maybe that are listening via this podcast, whatever it is, Lord, again, help them, help them to take that next step, to have the courage to take a risk, to not play it safe. And Lord, I pray that as we start doing that individually, that we would see that playing out even more so corporately as we come together and that exponential would make your name famous, that people would look at us and they would see Jesus, not individual people, they would see Jesus and that that would be attractive, that we would truly be that salt and light that you've called us to be, that we would be that city on a hill that just draws people in. God, we don't want to do that for our glory. But Jesus, we want to do it for your glory. 
so that your kingdom may come and that your will may be done here on earth just as it is in heaven. Use us, God. Use us to make a difference. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.